We're going to be looking tonight in Genesis chapter 4. So if you want to open your Bibles, you can go there. It's a familiar story, the story of, of Cain and Abel, and I've never looked at it through this lens before. And it, it was really fascinating for me. Uh, you know, as, as you guys know, you, you, you know better than me. You're in the series uh, of No Lasting City, uh, Ruin and Remnant, and just exploring the reality of sin. Uh, it's easy for us to kind of accept that things are the way they are. Tonight, we're going to be looking at ruin as it has impacted family. And by that, as you guys hear that, uh, I want you to think in terms of your own families that you grew up in, extended, uh, immediate, extended, uh, but also the church family. I think that's part of it as well. And it's really easy for us to kind of think of ruin as natural because it's what we grew up with. And so it's important that we explore it because we're going to find that it's not. This is not natural. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Honestly, I was having a conversation with someone earlier today in the cafe, a friend we were talking uh, she had just been wrapping up a conversation with another man. That man left, and she was saying how sad it was because his kids will have no contact with him. And she was like, you know, family dynamics, and kind of a passing way. Now, she wasn't being flippant. What she was saying is it's a, it's a painful thing, but, you know, families, it happens. And it's easy for us to think in terms of ruin as something that's natural, and it is not. And we, it's easy for us to think of it as something permanent, and it is not, thanks to Jesus Christ. Uh, there is remnant. And, so, and we're going to see that in the story today, that you're going to see snippets of ruin and the effects of sin, and then there's these glimpses, these hints, this invitation to see what God is doing to bring about change, and, and that, that he is at work even in the midst of that darkness. I will say, because this is families, uh, I have been praying about tonight, because I know some of you, for some of you, your, your families were, yeah, quirky and dysfunctional in a normal dysfunctional way, and, and some of you feel loved and accepted by family. Some of you have had, uh, statistically, uh, just hard families, brokenness, real brokenness. And I want you guys to know that uh, as we approach this, I have prayed about that a lot. I've prayed for you, uh, and I, I would want you to see and focus in on the hope that the Lord gives in this and, and the remnant aspect of that. Um, because family touches us personally. I mean, we, um, let, let's face it, it's a place where we obtain our understanding of the world, and uh, our family has been involved in the foster care system. We have adopted, and so we've seen the brokenness We've seen the dysfunction in our own families. Uh, <laughs> Zach mentioned that CJ's our daughter, and we used to always joke, we will not pass along the dysfunction of our families of origin. We're going to create new ones. And uh, she's going to go to therapy, but it'll be for different reasons than what I had to go there. Because um, let's face it, sin is part of it, and, and none of us are perfect. Um, and, but but family is supposed to be that place where we learn who we are. You know, are we loved? Are we wanted? Um, are we useful or useless? Um, are we a source of pleasure or pain? Our families kind of send us these signals about who we are. They send us signals about what this world is like. Is it a safe place? Is it a, pla is it a place to be feared? Uh, can I trust? Is there justice? Um, is there a place where support 
is available or, or is they're just striving. It's a, it, families teach us how the world works. This is, this is what it's like to, to get things done. This is how you succeed in life. What does it take to get blessing and flourishing in your life? Um, they are supposed to be places and sources of flourishing. Uh, they are often sources of frustration, uh, you know, where, you know, your family can love you and accept you for who you are, and they can drive you absolutely crazy. Uh, you talk to the number of families that get in fights on the way to church on a Sunday morning, and it is prevalent. It happens. And it's, it's something that the enemy will exploit. We'll see that. Uh, and we're going to look to see how ruin through sin has impacted the family. And, and hopefully we're going to get to the point where, like I heard this morning, this is just what families do, to they don't have to do that. We have choices, to they won't always be this way, that there is, there's hope through that. And so I'm just going to read a, a portion. Like I said, that, well, I might have said, uh, there, there's like three patterns of Ruin, remnant, ruin, remnant throughout uh, this chapter. So we're going to start off with the first part and just explore what that is. I will say this, um, for those of you who have read this before or other Bible stories in the Old Testament, the Bible is really sparing when it comes to words. It doesn't go into extended detail about all this. There's a lot that's drawn from the context that the readers would have just gone, oh yeah, they would have just known. Uh, and we'll, we'll try to explore some of that tonight. Um, and, and they give hints and direction. And for some of you who might have been confused as to what's going on with this Cain and Abel story, hopefully that will come through. And if not, during the question and answer session or question session as you guys discuss, you can explore and find out some of those things. But let me just read. I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 to start us off. And, and he says this, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Pretty brief, pretty... So this is happening immediately after the fall in the, in the garden where Adam and Eve chose to pursue blessing on their own terms and their own timing and their own way and paid the price. And so here they are as a result of this. And, um, and what we're going to see in this first part is that the family narrative is, has got corrupted straight out of the gate. The culture of the family has been twisted. And uh, every family has got their own narratives, like I said before, of how they view the world and, um, and how to get blessing. So in my family, there was a big push on education. Everybody's got to have a college education. Uh, everybody, you know, has got to have a, a good starting job in life. And yes, you need to praise God and you need to go to church, you need to worship him, but make sure you get a college education. Make sure you got a good job lined up. That was kind of my family narrative. And then I married Toby, and her dad uh, worked as a mechanic in a coal mine, so college didn't mean a thing to him. It was do hard work. It was show up. It was different values. So every family's got their own narrative. And right now, straight out of the gate, what we see, uh, let's, we're going to take a look at Eve's statement. 
I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. The, when she says, I have gotten, that's actually a word play. The Hebrew word sounds a lot like Cain. So I've gotten. The Cain, so Cain gets enabled. Her firstborn gets enabled, uh, named. Enabled. Uh, I'll let you guys figure out what that means. It's, it's a Hebrew word. Let's just go with that. Uh, yeah, when they don't know what to say, they just go, oh, I just got enabled. Um, no, uh, Cain means uh, gotten or taken or obtained. And so uh, imagine what it would do to your self-image to go, uh, yeah, you're, you're an, you obtain, you get, you take. Uh, that's kind of a forceful, strong image for a firstborn son. Uh, and, and in this, what she's saying, though, uh, she's saying, I have gotten and created. Um, this is a unique expression uh, for having a child. In fact, in no other part of the Bible is having a child, do they use this Hebrew word for, I have gotten, I have obtained. Um, it's used for God as he's the creator of the world. He creates, he obtains this, he takes it. The creator of Israel, uh, as the one who forms us in our inward parts, I've formed, it means I've taken, I've obtained, I've created this. Uh, and like I said, never ever used for simply having kids. So what she's saying is, I have, a, I have created, uh, I have created a man with the help of the Lord. So she's, she's kind of elevating herself a little bit right here. Um, and she's kind of saying, look what I did. Look what I was able to, to pull off. With the phrase, with the help of the Lord, that Hebrew construction can mean that, with God's help, with God's assistance, as translated in the ESV. It can also mean beside or in comparison to or along with. And uh, there's a verse in Exodus where it says, you shall not make gods of silver to be with me, to be compared to me, to be alongside me. So, so a way of looking at this phrase is she's saying, just like Yahweh created us, I've created Cain. So she's, she's demonstrating the same desire in Genesis 3. You remember after the fall, there was this promise of one to come, a seed of woman. And uh, so there's this promise that she's holding out for. Yes, this messed up. This, this is bad. But there's a promise coming one day, and she's going to obtain that blessing. And she's going to do it using the God-given gifts that God gave her, but she's going to do it in her way uh, with her own abilities. And that can become, and we're going to see, it plays out a little bit in this story, the family narrative, that... It's almost like Eve is saying, I know I messed up things back in the garden, but I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to fulfill my role. I'm going to use my God-given gifts, and I'm going to make things right. And that is a, a legitimate way of viewing that phrase and that, uh, that setup. And, and you can see that as we're going to continue to look at Cain and how he responds. There is this sense of using their God-given gifts to obtain blessing on their own timing and in their own terms, uh, which is human culture, unfortunately. Um, so how that ruined pl culture plays out in this family and, and kind of what you see a little bit, there are roles in this family, and as long as you stay in your lane and you carry out the values of the family, everything works. It's just fine. 
so like I said, Cain's name is full of promise. Let's understand the family and what's revealed to us. She bore Cain. Um, like I said, it sounds like the word to create, to obtain. Here's this go-getter. Uh, what I learned was the second son, Abel, is the same Hebrew word uh, that's used in Ecclesiastes that means vanity or vapor, Havel. So imagine being that second-born kid. You've got, here's my brother, the creator, the go-getter, the obtainer, and then we have vapor and mist over here. How would you like to live up to that? Uh, the second-born. Uh, so you've got that name thing going. Cain did the firstborn thing, and the original readers would have picked up on this. Uh, it says, now Abel, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. How does the Bible describe Adam's role? He was a worker of the ground. Yeah, the God, when God created man, he said, we need somebody to create and, and work the ground. And in Genesis 2, he placed Adam in the garden to work the ground. And here we have Cain's description as a worker of the ground. So he's following in his dad's footsteps. You've got the firstborn, the taker, the go-getter, going in the family business, doing what dad did. And then you have uh, Abel. He kept smelly sheep. Um, from a cultural perspective, let me just back up and say, those who worked the ground and farmed, that ended up becoming a prestigious position. What we know from history is that as farming grew and developed, so did cities. So did empires because they, were, they could recruit all these slaves to grow more crops, to feed more people, to, to build more cities. And with sheep, not so much. They were smelling. Uh, the people tended to be nomadic because you had to wander around where the food was. There was no place to settle. Sometimes they would gain wealth. But it was a lowly profession by comparison to farming. So they were kind of the rednecks. They were the kind of guys who could make money, but they were lower class and not viewed as highly. So already in the names and in the professions, we learn something about the family. Between Eve's statement, the names and the professions, we kind of get a feel, a background of what's going on. Augustine, in his book, The City of God, uh, actually made the statement, Cain then was the firstborn. And he makes a comment, who belonged to the city of men. Abel belonged to the city of God. So we see this family dynamic already at play where Eve is saying, family, this is what you do. This is our narrative. We obtain blessing. We, do, we play out our roles the way God gave them, but we do them in our own time and our own strength, and look what I did. And, uh, and Cain is following in his dad's footsteps. But then you have this this remnant portion, and that's Abel. Abel did not have to live out that corrupted narrative. Uh, he chose to live by faith. Somehow, through this context, Abel was still able to gain a knowledge of God and live by faith in him. I'm sure the pressure in that family, the pressure in any family to conform is pretty intense, uh, to, to live according to what the family values. And yet he resisted. Like I said, Abel's name is the Hebrew word havel. It's used in Ecclesiastes as vapor and mist. And it's often used to describe life on earth. It's a vapor and a mist. It's here and then it's gone. And let's face it, in the narrative, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the story, Abel doesn't stick around too long. And so maybe it was a comment 
on the length of days of life on, on this earth. Maybe, though, it was an indication of his perspective. Maybe he knew that life is short, and it's not a matter about the length of days. It's what you do with them. It's what your perspective is and what he chose to focus on. And so, again, you've got this brokenness already at play in the family, but then you've got this glimpse of a remnant of hope, of, of God at work through faith. So you have this, uh, like I had read about the gift of the offerings, um, God had regard for Abel and his offering. And so why is that? Um, God's decision to regard or give Abel his attention, to look upon him and, uh, and, and give him his gaze, is not directly explained. What we see is there's two clues. One is uh, the ordering of that verse, kind of how the words flow, and also uh, Cain's response to that moment. So the ordering, it doesn't say, it could have said, but it doesn't, and the Lord had regard for Abel's offerings, thought they were really cool, so then Abel was okay. Uh, And then uh, Cain's, uh, not so much. But it doesn't go that way. It starts with the person and then the offering. And sometimes we try to figure out this moment. What in the heck would, why would God determine, to, two people are giving their offerings, why would he give some, somebody their attention to go, yeah, I, I'm going to regard you, I give you notice, that was good, and in this moment, not. Uh, and so there's this digging around to figure out and, and play around and say, well, you know, uh, Abel was offering firstborn sheep, there was a blood sacrifice, uh, and Cain was just offering fruit, so not as good. When really these weren't sacrifices, they were offerings. And in the Levitical system, there was both grain offerings and agricultural offerings, and there was uh, animal offerings. So it's really not the point of what was offered. You can get a glimpse of it a little bit and, and a little hint for the authors when uh, Abel says uh, that he offered the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions choice stuff, details that aren't given in Cain's offerings. But again, the, that only gives you an indication of Abel's heart. It, it's, the point is not what was offered. It was the heart in which it was offered. And so the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, uh, but not for Cain. And so then Cain's response, so that's the first part, is the order. There was the focus on the person uh, and then the offering. And then Cain's response to this Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So at this point, there's some sort of disconnect he's having with God. He's not having the right attitude. If he's going to an offering, and somebody else, and God says, oh, this was a great offering, this offering wasn't so much, he could have responded, you know, God, please teach me. Uh, I I must not have done that right. Uh, My heart must not be in the right place. Um, I know you're good. I know you love me. That wasn't his response. He was angry. His face fell. So, so again, it's not a matter of what was offered. It's the heart. Hebrews 11.4 actually gives us a commentary on this and says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. That's a powerful finish. And through his faith, 
though he died, he still speaks. Uh, Abel has no recorded word in the Bible, but he still speaks. He speaks a word of invitation. Uh, you could say that his choices didn't work out so well for him. Maybe if he had followed his family's narrative, he would have succeeded a little more, lasted a little bit longer on this earth, been able to get married, have kids, have the life. Do the... But that wasn't the point. The point was he lived by faith. And though he died, uh, he still speaks. He chose to live in a lasting city. And, and I got to thinking about some of us. I don't uh, know this. I wasn't thinking about anyone in particular. But just growing up in our families, sometimes our families are going one direction. And we feel like the Lord is calling us to live a different way. And, we like, and we're like, what's the point? It's not going to work anyway. And uh, Abel didn't really think that way. He didn't really worry about the consequences. Uh, again, you could argue that maybe uh, he would have lived a little longer had he done differently. Um, but that wasn't the point. Though he died, he still speaks. And our actions speak. Uh, so if you're involved, let's say, in a family where there's a lot of contention, and you choose to trust in God by faith and act as loving as you can in those moments, it may not change the family dynamic. And yet, the Lord through you will still speak. And he will speak for a long time. And I think that we, we need to understand that because sometimes we think the ruin wins the day. And I will speak to that as a church family. Sometimes we will have relationships in here that are just contentious or not right uh, or bent in some way. And we can think, well, that's just the way it is. You win some, you lose some. Let me move on. But pursuing those relationships, even if it's not successful, still speaks. Uh, remnant is still at work. It's at work in your hearts. It's at work in the person's heart, even though they may not be receptive. And that's just one of those hidden moments in this that I don't think I had picked up before, is that Abel is our glimpse of remnant in this particular moment. Um, so, so you've got that, and then you've got ruin again, because uh, we, we finished in verse 5. It's, well, I'll just go again and said, um, And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Cain was threatened by Abel. Uh, the author kind of throws some hints in there by, like I said, describing Abel's offerings as the firstborn of the sheep. And who was the firstborn? That was Cain. So was some threatening move made? Well, look, dude, you're trying to show me up by these offerings. I'm the firstborn. I get the goods. Look, I'm doing my role. I'm working the ground. I'm giving the offering. I get the blessing. That's what, as the firstborn, I get the blessing. And here comes vapor mist. It doesn't really matter much anyway. And he's trying to give the firstborn, and he's trying to show me up before God. Yeah, I'm ticked. I'm angry. He's threatened a little bit. Uh, he was insecure in his relationship to God uh, and became jealous of the attention Abel was getting because he failed to trust in the timing and the method of God's goodness. In other words, I do my part. I'm the firstborn, I'm carrying out dad's role, the role that God gave him and God gave to mankind. I am doing my part. Uh, I'm giving you the offerings, God. 
blessing. That's how this works. Uh, and yet not always. And I know you guys have experienced that. I know different members of your family have experienced, experienced it. Different members of the church family have experienced that. And we go, God, what is that? Uh, well, God works on a different schedule. Uh, he gets to do what he gets to do. Uh, and Cain struggled to understand that. Uh, he didn't trust that God knew what was best. Uh, he knew what should have happened and when it should have happened. And how often do we get trapped in that in our own thinking? God, hey, I know you're going to do good, but now's the time. Uh, this is how this works. Uh, but God's got a different view sometimes. And Cain had a view that God's goodness was somehow limited. So if Abel got the blessing, well, that means Cain was out of the picture and he was shut out. If God says, hey, you know, I'm not going to regard this offering. Well, God's just given up on me. He's rejecting all my offerings, uh, which is just not true. In Jude verse 11, there's this uh, phrase that's used. It's talking about apostates, people who have left. And it says, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. So Cain's got this whole way named after him now. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. So Cain was after gain. I think that's plain. Uh, I just made that up just now, not in the notes. Thank you. Uh, so anyways, there is this way of Cain where he's trying to get uh, what's good for him. And he's doing it in the godly way, but he's trying to, to get. And ultimately, and you see this, you'll see this in your family relationships. You'll see it in this body. You'll see it in yourself. Somebody will be angry with somebody, but really they're angry with God. Uh, Initially, Cain is upset with God because his offering wasn't being accepted. So then he blamed his brother. Look, it's your fault because you're trying to usurp. And then he saw his brother as the problem and not his own heart. And, and we see that in human relationships. Uh, we see that in, in our families where a brother or a sister will just drive us crazy when really our own heart is what's out of whack. Uh, and that's the way it, it works. That's how ruin works. It deceives us into thinking the problem is out there. And, and could there be a stimulus to that? Sure. But really the work is in our own hearts. And, and often it's trying to obtain a blessing in our own timing, in our own way. Uh, rather than uh, trusting that the Lord will provide that. So in 1 John 3.12, John is, is addressing a congregation trying to teach them to love their, their brothers and sisters in Christ. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So the problem was with Cain in his own heart. And he actually says... Uh, he was of the evil one. Hatred towards another Christian is often prompted by a feeling of guilt in our own lives. We know that something's not right in our own hearts. And, and maybe that other person is succeeding in that moment, and we don't like that. So rather than trying to get healing for ourselves, we're going to take them down a peg or two. In fact, there are entire societies and ways of thinking. In England, they have a phrase, uh, the tallest poppy gets its head chopped off. So don't try to stand up or be anything more. We're going to cut you down. 
Because rather than trying to grow ourselves, it's easier to cut somebody else down. And that's the human condition. And what we have to remember is that reasoning, I'm going to go after somebody else because my own heart is broken, that's satanic. That's of the evil one. That's darkness. That's ruin. And uh, the good news is that's not permanent. That's not lasting. Because even in the darkness of Cain's heart, in this particular moment, uh, there's remnant. There's this invitation to understand and God providing a way out. So he goes on in uh, verse 6. The Lord mercifully starts a conversation. And I love how God talks to his people as if he doesn't already know what's going on. Uh, I um, I wasn't planning on telling this story, but... uh, one of my kids, not CJ, um, stole cereal one time. Like, just would often go in the cupboards and get cereal. Uh, and I can't avoid pronouns, so it was Maddie, uh, for those of you who know her. Uh, and so she would often sneak around and get cereal. And I, I'm telling the story because it's just a typical kid thing. So, she, so one day, uh, she, I, I come into the kitchen and she knows she's not supposed to. There's a box of cereal sitting on the table. And I'm just going, that's weird. I didn't put that there. So, and, and I look around the corner, and we had this kind of uh, bar area, uh, countertop. She was around the corner from that, sitting in the corner, munching on cereal. And so I said, uh, Maddie, did you get that cereal out? Did I know the answer? Of course I did. But I'm talking to her. Did you get that cereal out? Um, no. Maddie, there's only you and me in the house, and I didn't do it. So did you get that cereal out? Um, yeah. <laughs> she was like three. Uh, but my point is, uh, sometimes we feel like in these moments, when in the midst of the ruin, God is going to talk to us like, did you get that cereal out? Did you really yell it? Do you know the state of your heart? Don't you know that? That's how we feel like. God will talk to us, and I'm always blessed at how invitational God is in his, in his conversations. And, and if you haven't experienced that, and if you've run from God, you need to stop and just listen to him. Uh, because the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? He knows. He's inviting Cain to understand. He's inviting Cain to a dialogue and go, look, I'm still here. I haven't left. Uh, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And I wanted to go into the detail about Abel earlier and the remnant there so that you guys understood it's not a matter of getting the right offering. Because our tendency when we read this, if you do well, is to immediately think, what do I then do? Uh, which is natural, given the English language. But the, what the, the doing is here is approaching God with the right attitude with the right heart, the heart that goes, God, in your timing, on your terms, I stand ready to receive, and I'm grateful for you. That's the doing well. Um, so it's not that, that he forgot the best fruit. It's that his heart was out of way. So he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Uh, and in this invitation, um, Yahweh is explaining something to him. He goes, this moment, the sting you're feeling, it's not permanent. 
yeah, I didn't regard your offering, I didn't regard you in this moment, but I'm not rejecting you. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you come to me with, won't I accept you back again? Uh, and I think we think often uh, it's really easy to get kicked out of the family. And God is saying that's not how this works. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Again, not if you perform, not if you fulfill the role that the families do because that's ruin. That's not the path to acceptance. It's if you do well, if you come to me in humility, if you come to me with offering, will you not be accepted? And again, this is not reading New Testament into the Old Testament. The hearers would have heard this in the story, in the background of Cain and Abel. And yet the message is the same. Um, and the interesting thing, the, just as the fall had an effect on husband-wife relationships in Genesis 3, you heard almost the same language. Uh, Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now you've got sin has a desire for you, but you must rule over it. So he's saying just as the fall affected uh, male-female relationships and a husband-wife relationship, it affects the family relationship uh, using similar language. And God wants to provide that understanding that God, is, uh, God was gracious with Abel, but he'll be gracious with Cain. Uh, there's a path that Cain could take, the path of faith where he could receive good. Uh, the warning, sin is crouching at the door. That language, vivid. Uh, it's like an animal crouching at the door, ready to pounce. Um, its desire is for you. And I got to thinking about it. This is a, a new thing for humans at this point. Uh, just having experienced the fall, just now being out in, in the garden, they there's things they have to reckon with. The thoughts that they think in their head may be influenced by sin. Before, that wasn't the case. They could just think thoughts and go, oh, that is what it is. If I perceive it, then that's probably the way it is. Now things are different. Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. And so he's telling them, here's a new reality that you have to reckon with. Uh, you need to be aware of what you're thinking and that there's something that could be actively influencing your emotions and your thoughts, and so you need to be on your guard. There is a, a principle that's at work just like gravity, uh, just like when they would go skydiving, I'm sure unsuccessfully. No, uh, gravity was always at work. There were certain principles that were at play. Sin is a principle that's at play. It's crouching at the door, and uh, but there's a challenge. You must rule over it. God is not saying you're a victim to this crouching sin. Uh, you must rule it. Uh, and so we can't say, Cain can't say, well, hey, my family was this way, so I'm doomed. He can't say, my family was this way, so I was influenced. Uh, but so was sin, an influence, and you must rule over that. You are not a victim to the family structure. This church has a church family culture. We're not a victim to that church family culture, the good, the bad, the indifferent. Uh, we must point out and be aware of sin and, and rule over it. Uh, we, by faith, we fight. And so there's this, this beautiful moment of remnant in the midst of the darkness of Cain's heart, of the Lord's invitation and his um, challenge. And so um, there's a, 
unfortunately, it goes on then next to, to more ruin, and it's pretty intense. Um, in, Genesis, in verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then Yahweh said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? And he said, I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so Yahweh said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So here's this beautiful moment the Lord has of graciousness and invitation and understanding and challenge and relationship. And Cain says, nah. Abel's the enemy. Abel's the problem. And, and he stepped into that. Uh, he killed his brother in cold blood. This is the first instance of murder in the Bible. And it involves one family member taking another family member's life. And the seriousness of that should strike us. It's easy for me because I've uh, lived a long time and I've lived in the church. And I've heard the story a lot. And and honestly, it's easy to go, yeah, Cain slew Abel. But think about that for a minute. Think of, uh, you know, it's one thing, it's still a horrific thing, but it's one thing when a complete stranger murders a complete stranger. But, but think of this moment. Uh, Cain grew up with Abel. Uh, they played together. They did chores together. They learned together. Uh, Abel was family. And sin had so twisted Cain's thinking so that instead of seeing a family member, uh, he saw an enemy. This was not a brother who would love and accept him and challenge him and maybe annoy him, but who would always be there for him. Uh, he saw the enemy. He saw a threat that had to be eliminated. And the language of, of God confronting Cain is reminiscent of Genesis 3, where the Lord begins by asking a question even though he knows the answer. Uh, he's inviting a conversation, a learning process for Cain. He says, uh, where's Abel, your brother? And Cain, instead of responding to the conversation, he hides behind sarcasm. Uh, good thing none of us do that. Uh, we don't hide our guilt behind sarcasm or jokes. Uh, he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, just like Adam hid, Adam and Eve hid, uh, Cain is hiding. Uh, he's hiding behind sarcasm and a sick joke. And uh, I think it's important for us to know that our experience of that and our families and our relationships, uh, the pain that we've experienced through those moments of somebody just own it and they just hide, they refuse to admit, uh, that is not an uncommon thing. And that's not just a your family thing. It's not just a you and your heart thing. It's a human condition. Uh, and that's part of ruin. We may think, well, that's natural and that just happens. It's not. It is, it is part of the ruin. And again, we have to look at that. And we have to look at the horrible nature of that. Even in this moment, here God is coming to Cain and, and knows what he has done. And he's giving him a shot to own it and have a conversation. Invite forgiveness. And, and Cain says, nah twice. Once before he killed his brother, once after. Uh, and a little bold. 
to speak to God. Who am I? Am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me? That's bold, considering what he just did. And that's what sin can do. And God's punishment then sounds like the punishment in Genesis chapter 3 with the ground being cursed, labor being treated, or labor increasing. And, uh, and then there's this punishment that happens uh, where God says, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And, and by treating his family, as Cain treating his family like an enemy that needed to be removed, Cain is then removed from his family. He's isolated uh, as a fugitive and a wanderer. And we can see this in churches where in an in individual relationship, uh, we can go on the aggressive. We can treat the other as the enemy. And what ends up happening is that, that shapes your heart. So then the next group you're part of, guess what? It happens again because now your heart's been shaped. And I have met so many people who say that I have been a part of churches, so many churches, and all of them are the problem. When really you go, well, no doubt they had problems, but maybe is your heart the problem? And talking to them, I once heard this quote, and you might have heard this, bitterness is like drinking poison hoping the other person will die. It does damage to us. And, and so Cain, in a sense, is reaping what he's sown. Uh, he's now isolated, and he's on his own. And his response actually is where we get our next glimpse of remnant. So here's this darkness. He's isolated. He has murdered his brother. He's gone into the depths of darkness. And as God has laid all this out, he says in verse 13, Cain said to Yahweh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and it's the only work I've ever known, God. You've driven me away from the ground. Even the very thing, the only thing I really know how to do, you now say is not going to work. And from your face I shall be hidden. God, I'm losing you in this process. He feels. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And I find this a little interesting uh, because it sounds to me like he's whining. You just killed your brother, and now you're worried about somebody finding you and killing you? That's rich. That's gutsy. Uh, and, and to some extent, that's what we all can do, isn't it? Where we receive, receive the consequences of our sin and we go, hey, that's not fair, or I don't like that. Uh, but that isn't the total picture here. When he says, my punishment is greater than I can bear, the word punishment in Hebrew is a complicated word. It's a word that can mean punishment. It can also mean iniquity, my sin. It can mean the guilt that's come about because of my sin. It, it means all those things. In Isaiah 53, 6, that famous verse about uh, the prophecy about Jesus that says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That word iniquity is the same word. So in this, and it's, it, the, the Jews in the Old Testament often viewed iniquity and sin and the consequences of sin as one thing. We like to separate things out and describe it. They viewed it as one thing. If there's sin, there's consequences of sin, there's an impact on the community, and it's all ugly, and it's got to be rooted out and stopped. So it's not just about the personal impact on me, 
And it's not just about the consequences out there. It's both. So uh, as Cain is sitting here saying, my punishment, my iniquity is greater than I can bear, uh, it's a bit of a recognition. It's a bit of a broken moment. It's him recognizing, I can't bear this sin. And God responds, and that's partly why it's convincing for me that that's what's happening right now, is he's repenting somewhat. He's recognizing his sin. This is too great for me to bear. And, uh, and so God then shows unbelievable mercy. And he spares Cain's life. And so in um, verse 14... Uh, sorry, uh, verse 15. Then Yahweh said to him, so let me back up, verse 14. Behold, you've driven me away today from the ground. From your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then Yahweh said to him, not so. Okay, everything you're thinking, not so. Uh, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of Yahweh and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So in the midst of this repentant moment, in the midst of this recognition of his sin, God extends mercy. He doesn't take his life. In fact, he offers protection. Uh, he, um, he, there's judgment and there's consequences for Cain's actions, but there's also mercy. Now, there's, there's a lot of speculation as to what the mark of Cain is. And some of it is pretty out there. Nobody really knows. You know, in Jewish Midrash, it was, it was all, everything from a horn on his head to a dog that would protect him from animals and everything in between. I don't think it's that helpful to speculate about the, what the mark is. Because that's not really the point. Uh, the point is, yeah, I was going to th think of a funny story, but it's completely irrelevant. So the point, is, I, was, I remember when I was in high school, there was a story about Moses and the snakes biting people, the fiery serpents, and uh, this kid kept asking, what kind of snakes were they? doesn't matter. They were fiery. Uh, they bit. So there was a mark. There was a mark of Cain, uh, and all we need to take away from that is it was a, it was a reminder to Cain uh, of what he had done and the consequences of his actions and a reminder of God's mercy and his protection. And... Uh, yeah, and I think that's what we need to take from that. When God confronts humanity's evil, he usually brings justice while showing mercy. In fact, I've yet to see an example where he doesn't. Uh, and, and often he marks this with a sign. You can think of Noah and the flood, where there was judgment by bringing a flood to the whole earth, and then there was a rainbow. God saying, I will never do this again. Uh, and so... The biggest sign that we have of God's justice and bringing consequences uh, to sin for bear and showing his mercy is Jesus on the cross. That is a sign of justice. If ever we sat and thought, I have sinned way too much. God can't forgive me this time. Uh, he has to punish me. Well, he has to bring punishment, and he did. He brought it to Jesus. And Jesus accepted. If, if you think, man, uh, God just won't forgive me this time, look at Jesus and what he willingly did in order to bring mercy to you uh, and to me. And so 
um, as we look at our families, as we, as we look at our human relationships, we can see those signs of ruin and that sin is crouching at the door and, and it's the state of our heart that matters. We can look and see all those things. But the glimpses of remnant, we can all see in, in Jesus, that there is a relationship by faith with Jesus Christ, that the rest, there is restoration of relationship with God uh, when we trust in his goodness, when we trust in his faith, that Jesus gives us what we need when we need it. There can be res- restoration and health of family relationships. And I will say that doesn't always happen in this life. Uh, I, can, I can think of certain family members that have passed on, and I will never have the relationship with them that I wanted to have. Uh, but that's that moment where we step in by faith into that moment, and our voice will still speak. It'll speak to others. It'll shape our own hearts. Uh, but in many, many cases, there is restoration and health of family relationships through Jesus and forgiveness and protection on the journey of restoration. There are times where we will all harm a family member. We will hurt somebody. We will be hurt. And yet forgiveness and protection uh, by Jesus is always available and always present. So um, hopefully that encourages you guys. And as you continue to read through the story, uh, you will see that evidence of ruin and remnant. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for you. Jesus, we are grateful that you are a sign of your justice, of judgment, and of mercy, that you took on yourself the judgment that we have all earned, that you could bring restoration and remnant to our hearts, to our relationships in this church body, in this church family, And in our own families, God, give us the strength when we see the ruin to not think that that is permanent, but instead, Lord, to hear your voice and to trust in your goodness, in your timing, and in your method, and uh, and receive your your love, mercy, and protection. Uh, We love you, Jesus, and we're grateful for you. Amen.